very much, Jaladas. Thanks, everybody, for coming this morning. Uh, I prepared quite a fair number of slides uh, to go through, but now that I keep looking at this digital clock in front here, it's making me very nervous. So we shall try and go through uh, the slides and uh, raise some of the issues uh, that I thought were important in the last elections. Now, first of all, uh, can I control it from here? Ah, I can. Okay. Now, uh, as far as the elections were concerned, uh, when it was announced, uh, not much uh, surprise by way of timing so far as uh, uh, the presidential elections is specified to take place once every six years, which is the term for the elected president. So one of the questions that was being brought up just now during the uh, forum was whether or not you can change the timing. The problem is that if you fix one timing and you don't fix the timing for the parliamentary elections, there is no guarantee that the two will not meet again at some point because the life of parliament is five years, but under the Westminster system of government, it can be uh, dissolved at any time, even after one year, if there was a crisis looming. So one of the big questions when the presidential elections were announced, of course, was that uh, was there going to be a contest? The problem uh, is that under Section 15 of the Presidential Elections Act, if a person is a sole candidate, that person will be declared as elected as president. I, I remember President Nazan uh, used to whip me a lot every time I meet him at a official functions and goes around telling people, ah, this man thinks that I wasn't properly elected. <laughs> and, and in the last uh, time when I saw him, when he said it one more time, I, I, I felt I had to reply at some point. I said, no, sir, I didn't say you were not properly elected. I said you were not elected. Yeah. <laughs> the question, of course, is will there be a continuation of G2011? In other words, were the sort of political going to be carried forward into the next election. And this because of the timing. We've never, ever had a timing uh, that was that close, right? And of course, uh, will President Nazan run again? Was he going to run again? If not, who was going to run? And of course, the speculation and reality, uh, you know, uh, revealed that uh, this time round, unlike in other instances, there were a lot of people who were interested in running. A lot of speculation, uh, President Nazan uh, very quickly said no, he, he, he was too old, he didn't want to run. Uh, there was a suggestion that uh, Professor Jayakumar might run. Uh, George Yeo, you know, now that he was no longer a minister and uh, uh, MP for Aljunit, maybe he might run. Another suggestion comes in. Of course, these were very quickly dismissed. But those who said yes, that they intended to run, who actually went out and took the forms, uh, included uh, Andrew Kwan, who tried to run the last time around, uh, Wee Boon Yu, who is a private tutor, who in fact uh, was quite irritated because he felt that the press wasn't giving him any coverage. He said, hey, I'm also running, but how come I'm not being featured very much? And of course, the four candidates whom we know, right? And uh, then that's the next question under the law. Under the Presidential Elections uh, as well as to the Constitution, who is in fact qualified to run. And these are the four candidates who have been given their certificate of eligibility. Question, of course, is uh, I think, you know, this was the big speculation. The press kept calling me during that time. Uh, are these people qualified? And I told them, you know, as far as I'm concerned, 
Tan Cheng Bok, Tony Tan, and Tan Ching Chen would almost automatically qualify under the provisions. Uh, Tan Ji say I wasn't very sure because I wasn't sure as to how the presidential elections uh, committee would actually view uh, what he did, his job itself. Right? He uh, is a former man regional managing director of a investment firm called John Covered Asia and his successor AIP Covered Asia. So the question was whether or not they would take that into consideration. I thought that uh, Mr. Ui and uh, Andrew Kwan uh, would not qualify again. Uh, in so far as Andrew Kwan is concerned, my, my basis for saying that was nothing more than the fact that I think the PEC had to be consistent with its previous decision. So based on precedent, you can't say no one time and say yes the next time round, right? It would suggest that there is uh, no consistency or benchmark. And uh, in the case of uh, 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 Mr. Ui, I think uh, because uh, he clearly doesn't satisfy uh, the provisions under Article 19. Now, the next big issue, so one of the issues, sorry, we may go just simply run off this portion about candidature. Section 15 of the Presidential Elections Act still something that we should keep in place. Should we not always have an election? Right? Because obviously the idea of having somebody elected to have the mandate to say no to the properly elected government is a very important one. That's the first question. The second uh, sort of legal question is, is the PEC given too much power uh, and doesn't require them to give sufficient accountability on how that power is used. Uh, we have not yet had instances where candidates might have uh, clearly satisfied the provisions under uh, the uh, uh, Constitution and yet been denied a certificate of eligibility uh, which they would have taken legal action on. All right? So two questions there. Next, there's a whole host of things which the candidates uh, said they would do if they became president, right? And here, again, uh, these, these are the ones that I'm going to go right, very quickly through. Tan uh, Lian, for example, he had, I think, probably the longest list. He wanted to direct investments, propose the dismantling of government companies. He wanted to have a personal presidential council uh, to manage interactions and feedback from people. Uh, he wanted to bring in unsuccessful candidates as his advisors. He wanted to act as an alternative voice issues or matters without the consent of cabinet, influence the government within the constitution, propose pension for the elderly, increase salary of NSMEN. Okay? I think the last one was quite popular, okay? but <laughs> obviously most of them probably under 21. <laughs> now, um, can you direct investments? Again, same, similar. Huh? Tan Chi Se uh, uh, had some points that were similar to Tan Chi Lian's directing investments. Two of them were very concerned about how our wealth was being some of 
of these rules. Tan Cheng Bok, I think I thought he, he, he had a master stroke in his opening uh, salvo in the televised uh, address where he says one of the first things he's going to do is get the Prime Minister's office to move out of Istana, uh, which actually he can if he wanted to. Uh, he wanted to add six advisors that are good in constitutional law and finance. As the constitutional law person, I think that's a good idea. Uh, but again, like uh, Tan Chi Se published an annual report detailing how responsibilities have been carried out. He wanted to propose a merger of the self-help groups at Mendaki, Simba, and CDAC. Uh, initiate structured programs to reach out to Singaporeans of all races, including new citizens, and champion co uh, causes closest to his heart. Uh, it was noted that when he entered the football stadium during a World Cup uh, uh, match, uh, Singapore qualifying match, Singapore played, he was uh, very much cheered. Right? Uh, Tony Tan's uh, suggestions, uh, you know, can you act as a resource and a symbol, uh, make suggestions to the Prime Minister and Cabinet, strengthen Singapore's ability to weather financial uncertainties, champion the Singapore brand overseas, raise the profile of local charities, encourage greater participation in sporting, cultural, artistic activities. Most of these ideas of his were pretty much status quo in the sense that this is what the President's already doing. Charities and so on, we look at. But quite clearly, under the Constitution, there are some things that the President can do, and there are other things he can't do. He cannot, for example, uh, 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 go against the government's policy directly. Okay? So, one of the ideas uh, which came out from Tan Ching Lian was can I, uh, he, this was, had to do with the death penalty, and he said, well, you know, I, I really don't want to sign these papers if I were President, but if I did have to sign them, can I say, I signed because I have to sign, but I really don't like it, right? Uh, this is one of these, uh, you know, making a statement, right? Uh, can I publicly call on the government to act on any matter, uh, criticize the government policy or the civil service, or, you know, in fact, to rally the people in times of crisis and to soothe straight nerves? Now, I've sort of pulled some of these issues and questions out, partly uh, at, uh, because they were also asked at the last IPS forum, uh, the one prior to the elections. Constitution is quite clear that in all matters uh, that are prescribed under the Constitution, the President acts advi on advice unless he is given explicit personal discretion. Okay? The problem with uh, that simple stipulation is that in between what he can absolutely do and what he must absolutely do on the advice of the Cabinet, there is a really, really huge grey area. So some of the ideas that were put forward by the presidential candidates, such as uh, issuing uh, an annual report or giving a sort of a State of the Union uh, speech or press conference, are things that plausibly might, might be legal, right? There's nothing to prohibit that. And so long as they don't speak out of turn as in contradicting government policy directly, I think it probably will pass muster.
suggested by several people that there is a disjuncture between uh, the expectations, right, given the job description, the high qualification levels and so on, and the actual job. In other words, are you like creating an office that is so hard to qualify to do something that is, you know, fairly simple? In other words, are you getting a Nobel laureate to wash test tubes, you know? Uh, so this is the sort of problem that was, uh, I think, arose in those instances, okay? So now what can you do if indeed the president decides? And this was a question that was posed at the last ITS forum, and I think Mr. Shamugam was a bit reluctant to answer this question. If the president was really willful and he decided to go against the constitution, what can you do? Well, of course, uh, you can remove him for intentional violation of the Constitution, you uh, convene a tribunal under Article 22L and made up of uh, not less than five judges of the Supreme Court decide if he has intentionally violated the Constitution uh, ground for which he can be removed. You can, of course, take the easier way out. You don't want to go and create a constitutional crisis. You could uh, simply amend all the powers out of existence. The relevant provisions that stop the government or the, the parliament from amending the president's powers uh, into oblivion, uh, namely in Article 52A and Article 5A of the Constitution, have been held in abeyance since 1991. Uh, you know, I have not seen any law in any country that has been passed and held in abeyance for that long a time. Okay. Of course, the government, whenever they are asked this question, they, they say, well, we still need to, to, to tweak the system. My question is, if you need 20 years to tweak the system, maybe you should have thought a bit longer before you, you put it in force, right? You can, of course, circumvent the presidential scrutiny by doing other things to raise money, increase your taxes, that's easy enough. Sell state assets, okay? uh, land, that's easy to sell. You can grant monopolies, licenses, open another two casinos, you can also raise money that way. Good government, president. I don't think anyone can deny PAP good government, president on 
situation. And this was where I think some people were, were, were thinking, oh my goodness, what if you don't have a, a PAP endorsed president in the Istana and you've got the PAP, you've got a so-called bad president and a good government. But here, let, let, let's not worry about this. I mean, the bad president, bad government, I think we are in really serious trouble. But the point about this uh, matrix is that you are going to get a gridlock in any case because the price that you have to pay to get out of this right, will be very, very high. What will you need to do? You have to amend the constitution, you know, almost get rid of the president, right, or else have a stalemate and nothing moves. Which Janadas and Hong Kong Ting brought up, uh, suggested here that you might perhaps change the election system so that you would have an electoral college nominate candidates and elect among them rather than have it popularly elected. Uh, part of the idea being that if it's popularly elected, it tends to get more polarized, more politicized than if you had you know, a group of uh, notables sitting around thinking about it seriously. Now the question is, do you think this is the way uh, to deal with this uh, issue? In, in, in a sense, uh, it, it kind of addresses partly that question that was asked just now, which is whether or not you, you should have a runoff. Uh, and their solution was that you should eliminate the weakest candidate until at the end there's only one standing. In other words, you want certainty. You want somebody who really has a mandate. And I go back to the point about the original conception of the elected presidency, which is that you want somebody with the mandate to actually say no to the uh, popularly elected government. And if you want to do that, then obviously you cannot have somebody with 35%. You've got to have somebody with more than the majority. And therefore, a runoff actually is a good idea. It's a good idea. Another story. Uh, I'll end here. Maybe it's time for us to rethink the question completely. Uh, I had a little bit of a problem with one of the questions that was posed in the survey, which is that uh, do Singaporeans think that the elected president should be elected? Well, I think it depends on how the question is asked, right? If you tell people you have to have an elected president, and so uh, you have to have elected president, so you think you should be elected or selected? Of course, people will tell you he has to be elected. I mean, he's an elected president. Thank you. 
see. So if we are already doing all these things through various other modes, why it not be time for us to return the presidency to its previous role? And for me, a very important facet of that, the ability to nominate a president which can be uh, a president uh, who, uh, whose office can be rotated among the major ethnic groups in Singapore. We have lost that important symbolism, and I think it's time that we reclaim it. Thank you very much.